My name is Jackie Ebbs. I've been a member of Oakwood Christian Church for about seven months. Um, I'm originally from Joplin, Missouri. I was born and raised. I didn't stay in Joplin the whole time, but I was there as a kid growing up with my mom and my father. Um, my family history growing up from probably the ages I can remember from five to 18 was, um, I remember a lot of good memories, but also I had a lot of bad memories. My father was uh, alcoholic, used a lot of drugs, and my mom and father fought quite a bit when I was a kid. My mom divorced my dad when I was pretty young. She got away from the abuse. Um, and of course she took me and my brother with her to Illinois. Uh, I would come back and forth from between my mom and my dad. I was always running back to my dad. He, he was always drinking alcohol and that's just his lifestyle. Just growing up and being around your family and around the people that your family hangs around you kind of pick up what they do, their behaviors, and a lot of the things that they did at a young age, I started doing. So I started smoking cigarettes at the age of 10 and started drinking alcohol and doing drugs at 10 years old. Uh, I would get in trouble and my dad would, I would want to leave and go to my mom's and then I would get in trouble at my mom's six months to a year and I would run back to my dad. So I was back and forth between Missouri and Illinois for, you know, five or 10 years. I kept in the bad cycle of my life uh, all the way up until the age of 35. Uh, I was in and out of prison from the age of 19. When I first went to prison, I was scared to death. Uh, there was a man there named Stan in the prison that I was in in Missouri, and he was facing a life sentence for robbing a convenience store. He was, I remember coming out of my cell and we had an hour out and it was a 23 hour lockdown. And I remember seeing him sitting at a table by himself with the Bible open and I was scared to death. So the, you know, where do you run when you're scared to death when you're in prison? You either run to the people that's doing more illegal stuff in prison or you run to people that's doing what they're supposed to be doing to get out of that situation. So I went and met this man at the table and he introduced me to the gospel, started reading out of the Bible. I don't remember what it was, it's been a long time ago. But I know either that Sunday or the following Sunday when we got out on our rec time, I went over to the chapel in the Missouri prison and I accepted Jesus into my life. I was scared again, like I said, I wanted him to save me from the situations I was in but I still had no idea what it meant to make Jesus Lord of my life. And in the jail cell that night, I really surrendered to the Lord and said, listen, it doesn't matter if I do the rest of my life in prison, I wanna serve you in every way possible. I'm not looking for you to get me out of this situation. I just wanna be free from the drugs and the alcohol and the stress of life that I'm living. I need you to help me. I continued to read my Bible in there and I, I did about a year in there, I was doing court, I was going back and forth to court. They finally, the, the um, public defender I was using said, listen, they're offering to give you 15 years in prison. So I went ahead and pled guilty to the charge for 15 years. I thought for sure I was going to prison. Um, and I was really pretty humble and content with it because when I'm walking with the Lord and the Lord's really working in my life, you can be peaceful anywhere. So anyway, I, uh, I ended up in Alva, Oklahoma at Bill Johnson Correctional Center. But lo and behold, I didn't realize that the Lord was working something amazing in my life. I ended up doing 18 months in a treatment center in Alva, Oklahoma. I was able to do ministry inside the prison with the other guys, and the Lord was really working in my life, and I knew 
that by that time, you know, I was done with the things that I was doing my whole life and my life was changing greatly. I got out of prison there in Alva and I came here to Enid, started going to church. And I love the church. The pastor, when we first seen the pastor there, I was really inspired by the messages that he was preaching. Um, anyway, I was on fire for the Lord, doing really well. This whole time I had prayed for the Lord to send me a wife and a good family. I was so hungry and what, didn't want to be alone. And everything I asked him for and prayed for, he, he put in my life. He gave me a business, gave me a beautiful family, beautiful children. But I don't know what I would do without them today. He did that. Like everything you pray to the Lord and ask him for when it's in line with his will, he just does that. And he, and he did it for me. Anyway, that's, that's my story. I've known the Lord for 20 years. Um, I had a type of godliness, but I was denying his power and not even knowing it. It says it in the scripture. I, um, I had Jesus as my savior, but I didn't know what it meant to make him Lord. And what it means to make him a Lord over my life, it means that I'm listening to what he's asking me to do, taking them steps to do it every day, and living surrendered to his kingdom and his purposes. Well, I want to commend Jackie uh, because it takes a lot of courage to get up and, and just reveal your life and bear your, your past. A big part of his story that wasn't included was that Jackie was involved uh, a little less than two years ago in a terrible car accident out here on 412 that probably should have claimed his life. God continued to spare him and to work in his life, even though it left him severely injured and he still suffers some of the uh, after effects of that, God has continued to be faithful and give him chance after chance, even while he was in prison. And that's pretty courageous that he was willing to share that. And, and I thought about that today, you know, man, to tell your church, I've been to prison. Well, as you read through the Bible, you're going to find there have been a lot of God's people that have ended up in prison that God used in miraculous ways, and, and they, he did some great things to them. I look at Daniel. Daniel went to prison for praying and kind of got thrown in a lion's den. I guess that's kind of a prison. Joseph, Samson, Paul and Silas, John the Baptist, the Apostle John, Peter. Most of the disciples spent time in prison, but yet look how God used each of those guys, and God continues to use Jackie. But Jackie's story is a story of, of redemption, and as you read through the Bible, there's a lot of redemption stories in the Bible, people that have been given a second chance, a fresh start, and have been redeemed and, and brought back into that righteous relationship with God. What I want to look at today is a story that you may or may not be that familiar with. It's found in the Old Testament in the book of Hosea. And Hosea, if you were going to make a, a movie of Hosea's life right now, um, it would be a, a story of unfaithfulness, betrayal, and then kind of redemption. It, it would make a great little... Um, I think a soap opera or maybe one of those reality shows. But it's also a story of God's unconditional love 
His never-ending love for us. I want to ask you a question, and it's the same question uh, that I asked our staff this week. We went for a, a staff luncheon, and uh, I asked them this question. Parents, if you knew in advance that you were going to have a child that was going to betray you, rebel, reject your love, reject your family, your faith, betray you in the point where they wanted nothing to do with you, would you still have that child? Now, I'm not talking about abortion because I don't believe that, but would you still go ahead and conceive a child knowing that it, that child would be that rebellious? We had some great discussion about that, and most all of them said yes because there's always a chance to turn around. Well, let me kind of switch gears here. And guys, how many of you would marry someone knowing in advance that this bride, apple of your eye, was going to run around on you, going to be unfaithful with multiple men, some of them at the same time, had even have children fathered by other men while she's with you, living in your home, would you go ahead and marry her? That's a tough one, isn't it? But that's exactly what we find in the book of Hosea. That's exactly what God asked Hosea to do. Here we find in the book of Hosea the story of Hosea, a young preacher, prophet of God, and Gomer. Now, my, my mind immediately thinks of that movie, Gomer Pyle, you know. And I thought, man, she's probably just some ugly, homely-looking lady. But truth is, my research this week, I found she was probably very, very beautiful. But God commands Hosea to go marry this prostitute. And the book of Hosea is written to warn and to win people back that are strained from their relationship with God. And Hosea addresses this problem that still exists even today. And it's called spiritual adultery, being unfaithful to God. Now, before we get to our, our passage in Hosea to kind of set the, the scene here, I want to kind of tell you what life was like under during the time of Hosea, the, the spiritual condition of God's people that he was dealing with in the society. It, and as you read this, it still even kind of holds true today. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 17. And um, this is the account of exactly the time period that Hosea was dealing with. Beginning with verse 7. This disaster came upon the nation of Israel because the people worshipped other gods, sinning against the Lord their God, who had brought them safely out of slavery in Egypt. They had imitated the practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land before them, as well as the practices of the king of Israel had introduced. Now, I'm reading today from the New Living Translation. I just like the way it, it, it kind of describe some of this. The people of Israel had also secretly done many things that were not pleasing to the Lord their God. They built 
pagan shrines for themselves in all their towns, from the smallest outpost to the largest walled cities. They set up sacred pillars and Asherah poles on the top of every hill and under every green tree. They burned incense at the shrines, just like the nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of them. So the people of Israel had done many evil things, arousing the Lord's anger. Yes, they worshipped idols, despite the Lord's specific and repeated warnings. And again and again, the Lord had sent his prophets and seers to warn both Israel and Judah. Turn away from your evil ways. Obey my commands and laws, which are contained in the whole law, which I commanded your ancestors, and which I gave you through my servants, the prophets. But the Israelites would not listen. They were as stubborn as their ancestors and refused to believe in the Lord their God. That sound like today even? They rejected his laws and the covenant that he had made with their ancestors, and they despised all of his warnings. That's going on right now. They worshiped worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They followed the example of the nations around them, disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. They defiled all the commands of the Lord their God and made two calves of metal. They set up Asherah poles and worshipped Baal and all the forces of heaven. Listen to this. This is how wicked they had become. They even sacrificed their own sons and daughters in the fire. They consulted fortune tellers and used sorcery and sold themselves to evil, arousing the Lord's anger. And because the Lord was angry, he swept them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained in the land. Now, you may be thinking, wow, how terrible to burn your children, your sons and a daughter in the fire to these other guys. You know, it's still happening today. Maybe we're not throwing our kids into the fire, but we're sacrificing them. It might be the altar of sports. It might be whatever. Some... Sometimes we're uh, sacrificing the children before they're even given a chance to take their first breath uh, through a convenient procedure called abortion. We continue to disobey the Lord. So that's what was going on during the time of Hosea. There was a wickedness in God's people. And do you get that? The Lord's anger was raised. He was upset. He was angry. Rightfully so, right? They had betrayed him. They had ignored all of his warnings, just as the people before them. So, this is where we pick up the story of Hosea in chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. And this is a, a strange command that the Lord gives him. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go marry a prostitute. So some of her children will be born to you from other men. This will illustrate the way my people have been untrue to me, openly committing adultery against the Lord by worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, Name the child Jezreel, for I am about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will put an end to Israel's independence by breaking its military power in the Jezreel Valley. 
Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, Name your daughter Lo Ramah, not love, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. But I, the Lord their God, will show love to the people of Judah. I will personally free them from their enemies without any help from weapons or armory. After Gomer had, had weaned Lo Ramah, she became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, name him Lo Emmy, not my people. For Israel is not my people and I am not their God. Yet the time will come when Israel will prosper and become a great nation. In that day, its people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at that place where they were told, you are not my people, it will be said, you are the children of the living God. Then the people of Judah and Israel will unite under one leader and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel when God will again plant his people in the land in that day you will call your brothers am I my people and I will call your sisters Ruma the ones I love the story here is an imagery and if you could imagine God said this is what I want this to look like Hosea, you're going to represent me. That's the visual picture here. And Gomer, the prostitute, she's going to represent the Israelites or us today. And as I read through that, I noticed something, what God said, go have marry a prostitute and some of her children will be born to other men. Now listen, the first child that was born, it says... She became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. That was his. But now when you look down in verse 6, Gomer became pregnant and gave birth to a daughter. It didn't say the Lord gave Hosea a daughter this time. And then as she was weaning that child, she became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. Did not mention, the scripture did not mention that it was Hosea's son, just said she had a son. So just as the Lord had promised, you go have, get a, marry this woman, a prostitute, an unfaithful woman, and while she's living in your home, under your house, she's going to have multiple affairs and have children that don't belong to you, but they're going to live in your household anyway. Wow. Wow. Well, you skip over to Hosea chapter 2, and we're going to not read the entire chapter there. But I want to read just verses 1 through 4. And this is the message that God wanted Hosea to deliver to the people. These people that were sacrificing their children, that were unfaithful to God, were building altars and all that stuff. This is the message that he wanted Hosea to give to those people. God said, but now call Israel to account, for she is no longer my wife. Okay, that was the imagery that he was painting here, the wife. That was Gomer. She's no longer my wife, and I am no longer her husband. 
Tell her to take off her garnish makeup since suggestive closing and stop playing the prostitute. If she does not, I will strip her as naked as she was on the day she was born, and I will leave her to die of thirst as in a desert or a dry and barren wilderness. And I will not love her children as I would my own because they are not my children. They were conceived in adultery. So this is the warning that Hosea was told to give to the Israelites. Stop doing this. Stop being involved in spiritual prostitution or I'm going to strip you bare naked as the day you were born and you're going to die of thirst out in the desert. So stop. Well, I would like to say that they immediately heeded the warning and decided to, to stop. But as you read through the Old Testament, you're going to see a pattern that the Israelites turned away from God, then they turned back. Then they turned away from God again and turned back. Back and forth, back and forth. Very much like the nation that we're living in today. Oh, we've turned to God different times and then we turn away from God. Something will happen that will shake our nation and we'll immediately turn back to God, but then before we can even hardly remember it, we turn away from God. Over and over and over again, this was the pattern. If this happened in today's church, can you imagine how this gossip would, would go? It would go faster than the internet. Pastor marries a prostitute. It would be national news, wouldn't it? Pastor's wife has children, not his own. I wonder how many people would be attending his church. That would be a scandal, wouldn't it? We see scandals rock ministry all the time. And they break my heart because... Every time one of these scandals break, whether it's a youth minister that is caught abusing a child or a pastor being unfaithful or in some type of a criminal activity, it, it does damage to the church. It does damage to the kingdom of God. But while Hosea is out preaching, Gomer is going from man to man breaking his heart over and over and over again. And it's a perfect picture of the relationship with the Israelites and how they had betrayed him over and over and over again. And God said, okay, I want you to marry this prostitute, but I also want you to deliver this message to the Israelites because this is what it means. This is what you're doing to me. What Gomer was doing to Hosea that's what you're doing to me, and this is what I want you to tell them, and I want you to warn them. So God chose to deliver the message of a wayward people through the illustration of a husband's love for a wayward woman. Hosea is now a single parent, leading life alone, trying to maintain a church. People are talking behind his back. Gomer is being passed from man to man to man until finally she falls into the hands of a man who couldn't even provide for her basic needs. And he ends up selling her. We're going to see that in just a second. 
You can't help but feeling sorry for Hosea. The pain, the loneliness, the jealousy, low self-esteem, the feelings of inadequacy, that I'm just not a man enough to please my wife. But we come to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is told in the first person account where chapters 2 and 3 are in the third person account, okay? Let's begin reading chapter 3. Then the Lord said to me, go and get your wife again. Bring her back to you and love her, even though she still loves adultery. For the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods, offering them choice gifts. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and about five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Then I went to her and said, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual intercourse with anyone, not even me. This illustrates that Israel will be a long time without a king or prince and without sacrifices, temple, priest, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. They will come trembling in awe to the Lord as they will receive his good gifts in the last days. The Bible records the exact price that Hosea paid to buy his wife back. Fifteen shekels of silver and fifteen shekels of bread or barley here and a little bit of wine. And if you look at the equivalent here of that much bread or barley... It was 15 shekels. 30 shekels of silver was the exact price of a slave in the Old Testament. That's all she was worth was the price of a common slave. She was so used up, so abused. Basically, she was just worth what a common slave would be worth. Why did he use some bread and wine to buy her back, only 15 shekels of silver? I believe that he probably scraped together every bit of of money that he could to get her back. That wasn't enough, and so he took all of their food and their provisions to buy her back. It took everything he had to buy Gomer back. He didn't have enough money, so he he used everything, even the, the food from his children's plate to go buy this adulterous woman back. Even while she was still in the midst of her adultery, her prostitution. Gomer's problem was the same problem that we deal with today. It's called sin. Spiritual adultery is what it's specifically referred to in the book of Hosea, but it's sin. But we're all like Gomer. We're all like the Israelites. We're all like Jackie. We're all sinners who need redemption. We need to be bought back. And even in the midst of her sinful lifestyle, Hosea chose to bring her back. Now, she was still in the midst of her prostitution and her adultery, but she was so used up, that's all she was worth. And at that point, I believe Gomer was probably incapable of loving Hosea. Hosea. 
But Hosea declared her to be faithful and lovable, and he gave his promise that I'm going to be faithful to you. You come live back in my house. You're not going to be used as a sexual slave anymore. You just come live in my house for many days, and you're going to remain pure and and undefiled for many days. I think there are three quick and valuable lessons for us to learn here from the book of Hosea. Number one is God is a loving, giving, and forgiving God. What was the very first scripture that you probably memorized as a child? I know for me it was John 3.16. We could probably quote it together. Let's do it. For God so loved the world that what? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him will have eternal life. I want to tell you something. God's love is a promise. Love is a, is a promise, not a passion. Love isn't something that we feel. It's something that we do. God's love is a covenant, not a contract. I talk about this all the time in my marriage ceremonies. A contract is based on mistrust. You don't trust somebody, so I make a legal contract. It's a legal binding contract. A contract can be altered if certain conditions change. A contract can be broken, bankruptcy, for example. It's based on mistrust. A covenant, on the other hand, is based on trust. The conditions of a covenant cannot change. A covenant cannot be broken. Second lesson is that God loves us even when he knows what we won't love him back. I'm not sure how much affection Hosea had for Gomer at that time. I mean, she probably certainly didn't look like the woman he married. She was out running around passed from person to person. His affection for her may not have been that great, but he bought her back anyway. Now, under the Old Testament law, Hosea had every legal and moral right to, at this point, divorce her. And even under the Old Testament law, to have her killed for what she had done. But he did the most loving thing that you could imagine. He bought her back just to live in his house without actually being and fulfilling the the duties of a wife, but you just come live in my house. We're not going to be intimate. You just come live in my house. Gomer probably didn't even reciprocate his love back because at this point she probably felt pretty worthless. God loves us even when we repeatedly reject him. He pursues us. He relentlessly chases after us, drawing us into a relationship with Him. He desperately wants to have that relationship with us. And Jesus calls us to learn to love in exactly the way that He taught us. John 13, 34, Jesus said, love as I have loved you. Third lesson, and it's so important, is God loves, never gives up, and never ends. I want you to, to get this. If you don't get anything else I, I say today, I want you to get this. God doesn't love you because of what you do. 
He loves you in spite of what you do. God doesn't love you for who you are. He loves you in spite of what you are. And that's a hard lesson for us to understand because we have this bookkeeping mentality, don't we? That if I do these certain things for God, He's going to do these certain things for me. I'll be rewarded in this way. God's love doesn't work that way. That's not the truth of God. God doesn't reward or bless you because of what we do. He loves and blesses you in spite of what you are, in spite of what you do. And when you realize that, you understand that that's the unconditional, unending love of God. Some of you here today may have a wayward child. A child that has rejected your love, your faith, your family, and has chose to walk away from maybe your faith and maybe even completely walk away from you and your family and the love of God. And you can understand the hurt and pain that Hosea went through. And even though all the pain, he chose to remain faithful. And I want to give you hope. God sees your struggle. He feels your pain today and he's wrapping his arms around you and he's telling you, I love you. Not because of what you're doing or what you have done, what you will do, who you are or what you've become. I love you in spite of those things. Some of you here today maybe are that wayward child of God. Maybe you've walked away from his love following the desires of sin, just as Gomer. But I want to encourage you, maybe today you're feeling unlovable, unworthy, undeserving of His love. But hear me, friends, okay? God loves and gives grace to wayward people because He is God. And I want to tell you, God is right here waiting for you to discover His unconditional, unending love that he demonstrated to the prophet Hosea. The powerful love. A love that you'll never understand till we begin to accept the unconditional, unending love of God.